This morning we are finishing not only Jesus' prayer on the night that he was arrested that we find in John chapter 17, but we are finishing these five chapters of Jesus' teaching to his disciples that night he was arrested. That chapters 13 through 17 were all one night. That last night he spent with his disciples. And we come to an end of that as Jesus rounds out his prayer that next week we are moving towards the cross. That Jesus will be arrested, he will be tried, that we will see those things in the coming weeks. And it's kind of the last calm moment we have between Jesus and his disciples. And in these moments, what we find is Jesus prays not only for his disciples who have been with him this whole time, But he prays also for all who would believe in him based on the testimony of those original disciples. In other words, that means Jesus is praying for us. He is praying for people like us who have believed in him based on the testimony of his first disciples. And so I'd encourage you to open up your Bibles or look at the text printed out in the bulletin. We're in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26, closing Jesus' prayer on that night right before his arrest. John chapter 17. Let's hear the word of God. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them And you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we give thanks for Your Word and that You are a God who speaks. And we pray that Your great name might be proclaimed through Your Word today. That we would know You more. God, speak even through me. In spite of my sin and weakness, God, faithfully Send forth Your Word and the power of the Spirit, for Your Word is powerful, O God. And give us ears to hear Your Word. Open our hearts and minds. May the seeds of Your Word be planted in us and so grow and bring new spiritual life in us. May we be drawn to You. May we see You in glory. May we truly worship You in Your great name as we hear Your Word today. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the big idea today is unity, as Karen alluded to in the children's message, and that God works in us, His sinful people, to bring about unity in us. And that unity reflects the unity in God between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Twice in our passage, Jesus prays for his followers to be one, just as he and the Father are one. Now, we're not one in the exact same ways, because he is not referring to the divine nature. He's not saying, make them God like us. No, he's thinking more about the fact that the three persons of the Trinity have the same character are working towards the same mission and love one another. Those are what he wants to see in the united body of Christ. And because that is going on in God, he wants to see that going on in God's people. So this morning, I want us to look at this passage and those ideas. I want us to look at what we are united by, like what brings us together as believers what we are united for, so what are we supposed to do as people united, and then finally, who we are united with, who is this unity among. So first, what are we united by? And the answer is truth, specifically the truth about Jesus Christ, and we see that in three places in our chapter. Last week we saw it in verse 11, Jesus prayed, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Being kept in God's name means continuing to believe the truth about God and his character, that doing that makes us one. Then in verses 20 and 21, Jesus prays for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. We are united by believing in the disciples' word, their message about Jesus. That just as Jesus' original disciples were united because we're the guys following Jesus, so now all future disciples are one because we also follow Jesus in who he is. And then in verse 22, we see him pray, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one. Now, as we look around the room this morning, the glory that Jesus has given us is not to be shiny and splendorous and beautiful, okay? The glory that he has given us is the truth, the revelation of who he is, that in Jesus, the glory of God, the goodness and greatness of God is reflected for us, and he has shared that truth with us, and that makes us one. And so what Jesus is saying is that the truth about him is what unites us as Christians, that we believe the truth about Jesus, that we who believe in Jesus confess that he is the son of God who was born of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit, that he took on human flesh so that he is fully man and fully God. That he perfectly obeyed God's law without ever sinning. And he willingly offered his life as a sacrifice of atonement for our sins. And that his sacrifice was effective and accepted by God as evidenced by his resurrection on the third day. And as he appeared to his disciples, he then ascended to heaven where he reigns now until he comes again to judge the world and make all things new. We believe this as Christians. 
We believe that Jesus is our one true King and Lord, the only Savior of sinners, and He graciously gives this salvation to all who believe. This is what unites us as Christians. And yet history teaches us that unity is a fragile thing. That unity can be threatened and not just by a river like in our Old Testament reading. Our unity can be endangered and threatened in other ways. And so I want to highlight three very broad ways our unity can be endangered. First, Christian unity is endangered when we define our unity too loosely. In recent generations, a number of Christians and Christian groups have tried to bridge the gaps between all of the different denominations of Christians, and they have tried to do something called be ecumenical. Ecumenical is a fancy church word for one. We just want everyone to get along. But wouldn't you know that in every single one of these instances, all of those efforts to get together has essentially brought everyone to the table with all of the truth they believe in. They're like, oh, we got to get rid of that, 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 that. And you're left and you're like, what do I have left? And you end up uniting in very important, strong beliefs like God is real and good. And Jesus did great things. And we should be nice because the Bible tells us. And you're like, is that really what unites us? Truth needs to create unity. And we cannot cast aside fundamental truths in order to be united. Because we end up united with people who don't believe in Jesus. We create unity where there should be no unity. And so there's a danger to unity when we try to define it too loosely. We end up uniting with too many people. But we must be careful not to then go the exact opposite direction too far. Because Christian unity is also endangered by defining our unity too tightly. That some groups of believers so strongly emphasize their denominational distinctives that they exclude genuine Christians from being part of the true church. That some believers take things that are of secondary importance and elevate them up to be the most important things. So an example. that Yes, I believe that Christian parents should baptize their infant children. That's what we believe as Presbyterians and other denominations. But I don't think that someone who believes differently is excluded from the church. You believe in Jesus too. Your kids just get wet at a different time. That's fine. We can still be believers. We don't have to fight over that. And so we shouldn't make the error that if believers are not exactly like us, we can't unite with them. We should not make the error that Christians must be Presbyterian and our specific kind of Presbyterian at that. Because I would love for all Christians to be Presbyterian, but I want to win people to Jesus much more than I want people to be Presbyterian. And so we can make unity too strict and we end up leaving true believers outside of the church if we don't let them be part of it. Well, a third way that Christian unity is endangered is 
is kind of weird and unique to America, and that is when we let the world define our unity. There's a lot of talk in our nation about people called evangelicals. You may have heard that word. It's almost a four-letter word. Evangelicals. And we should probably take notice when people use that word because we are a congregation in the evangelical Presbyterian church. It's our denomination. So we're going to get lumped in with that. But when people in our nation talk about evangelicals, they have a different idea of what unites them. A different group of fundamental truths that unite them. That evangelicals in the eyes of the world are people who are pro-life, believe in God, are anti-LGBTQ, and vote Republican. That's what an evangelical is. Now, I will admit that being a Christian and being that kind of evangelical, there, there's some overlap there. But those are not the truths that unite us as Christians. Those are the truths that unite us in a nation that other people have devised for us. The truth that unites Christians is fundamentally about Jesus Christ, not the hot topics of American political commentary. And so all who believe in Jesus may be saved, but we have to believe some things about Jesus. It's about Jesus, not about these other things, because it is the truth about Jesus that unites us together as believers. And so that's what we are united by. This truth about Jesus is what unites us. But then we are told we are united for something. As a unity, we then are for something. What is the purpose then of unity? Well, we read it twice in our passage. In verse 21, Jesus prays, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Then again in verse 23, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So Christian unity has the purpose of making Jesus known to the world specifically his love for his people and our love for one another. To put it differently, the church is a diverse group of witnesses with one message who also unexpectedly love one another. It's kind of weird that we're supposed to love one another as Christians, regardless of what they are like. So let's first consider this idea that we are unified witnesses. That's how we fulfill the purpose of making Jesus known to the world, that we have a unified witness. So imagine you're at the beach one morning, wonderful day at the beach. No one else is awake. It's just you out there. I don't know why you're there. Don't ask me. You're just at the beach alone. And all of a sudden you look out on the water and you see like a dozen whales. And you can see them. They're just offshore. And like three of them jump and breach and splash. And you're like, this is amazing. Why didn't I bring my phone? I can't even take a picture of this. So you go back and you tell a friend or you call them up on your phone when you find it. Like, guess what? I saw whales at the beach today. And like, people will probably believe you. But, you know, maybe not. Like, you might have seen just a big dolphin. Okay? Or maybe, you know you didn't see anything at all, and it was some kind of mirage. But now imagine it's the heat of the day at the beach, and it's crowded, and there's lots of people there. 
kids, adults, everyone, lifeguards at their post, and the whales come by, a dozen of them. And the three of them jump out and splash, and everyone's there, and they see the whales. And then your friend, who had to run to the bathroom and didn't want to go in the water, you know, comes down, misses the whole thing. You're like, you missed it. We saw whales. Like, that's not right. And then everyone around you is like, yeah, we did. We saw whales. That little kid says, I saw a whale. That older person over there, I saw a whale. And everyone is saying they saw the whales. That is what it is like when we have a united witness as Christians. When Christians of all sorts, from all sorts of different places, are sharing the same message. I believe Jesus is Lord. I believe Jesus saves sinners. You hear it from one person, they're just a crazy person. You hear it from one type of people, those are just crazy people. You hear it from all sorts of people all around the world. And you're like, there might be something to this. When it's rich and poor, young and old, black and white, Democrat and Republican, American and Chinese, when we are all testifying to the same good news, our testimony is more convincing. In the same way that a jury would have a hard time denying multiple eyewitnesses that are telling the same story so also the world will have a hard time denying a unified witness from all sorts of people. The problem is this unity and this witness that we are supposed to share often gets de-emphasized. And we start sharing other important messages. We start finding other purposes for our unity. Things that emphasize what distinguishes us from other Christians rather than what unites us with other Christians. One of the most common ways this happens is when we focus on the success of our own congregation to the exclusion of other congregations, as if we are in competition with other churches in our area. That instead of seeing other churches as faithful teammates or co-workers or different branches of the same military, we see them as competition. We see them as the enemy instead of fellow soldiers. But that attitude of competition erodes our unity. It erodes our witness to the world. The world sees us as fighting amongst ourselves instead of sharing a unified message. Another way that Christians can lose sight of our shared purpose is we too strongly emphasize our particular way of doing things. I'm sure we're all particular in some ways. Maybe it is about how the dishwasher is loaded. That's my particular thing. It needs to be a certain way. Maybe we are particular about how we drive or whatever it may be. We've got all kinds of particularities and Christians are no different because we are people. And so some believers so strongly prefer a particular worship style that they hold at arm's length believers who prefer other kinds of worship. Recently, you may have noticed that some Christians have been split over how to respond to the coronavirus, fighting with one another about masks and vaccines and how to implement restrictions. And we as believers can be too quick to identify ourselves in ways that distinguish us from other Christians instead of simply saying, yeah, I'm a Christian like all those other people. 
And when we start to squabble with fellow believers about these differences, we don't love one another anymore. And the love of Jesus is no longer reflected in us. And then there doesn't seem to be anything particularly special about that group of people over there who are arguing about a whole bunch of stuff. The world's full of people who are different and argue about a whole bunch of stuff. What's unique about Christians is that we are supposed to be different and united in something. The sad result of this disunity and these splits is that we start to look at people who are our brothers and sisters in Christ with an attitude that says, we're not like them. That we're not like them. Perhaps we have looked at fellow believers in Jesus and thought, I'm not like them. We might have even looked at people in our own congregation and thought, I'm not like them. See, our world is full of people who look at others and say, I'm not like them. Now, to be fair, when we look at the church, there are a lot of people that we are not like. Tons of people. That's kind of the point of the church. We may, looking at the church worldwide, speak different languages from other believers. We may order our worship services differently. We may emphasize certain elements of the faith more than other people do. We may vote differently, have different kinds of jobs, interact with our world differently. But we are united with other believers, not because we are so much like them. Jesus doesn't say, be one by looking at all you have in common with one another. No. Jesus says, we are one because of who we have in common with one another. That Christian unity is not about trying to get all of our churches into a single organization. It's recognizing that we are all united to Jesus like branches in a vine in a single organism. It inevitably means that we are all united to one another because of Jesus. We are united with fellow believers because we all believe in the same one, as Paul wrote, one Lord, one faith, one God and Father, one Spirit. And so Jesus prays in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. Do you hear how all-encompassing that is? Jesus is looking forward to being together with all his people. He does not make any distinctions between us. If you have a family gathering, and there's going to be a lot of people there, you're probably thinking, man, I am so excited to see those people. They're also going to be there. But I'm really excited. No, Jesus is like, I am excited for all of them to be there. He is not saying, I am looking forward to the holiest group of believers being there. I don't only want the most faithful volunteers. I don't want just the denomination that got the most things correct on earth. I want all the people you have given me. For some reason, we tend to think that when Jesus returns and gathers his people, there will still be some kind of factions and divisions among us. 
Some of us even have weird expectations that like the Baptists and the Presbyterians will be like the sharks and jets in West Side Stories. Somehow in heaven having sinless rumbles with one another. Now, yes, we, we do have separate congregations. We have separate organizations here on earth. And that's necessary. That is wise for many reasons. But Jesus has one people who are all saved by him in the same way and have all received the same inheritance of eternal life. And with all of the differences in Christians today, we need to remember that. Because we live in a hostile world. And we desperately need to see our fellow believers as people on our side. Jesus says in verse 25, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. In a world that is set against God, Jesus has many people who know him. They may live in different countries from us. Their regular services may be different from ours. We may not have a lot of things in common with them. But we share the most important thing in common. We know God and His Son, Jesus Christ, whom He sent to save us. That's how Jesus sees us. Shouldn't we then see each other that way too? Shouldn't we see our fellow believers as people that I get to spend eternity with you? And that's good. Because we're both going to be without sin. So it's going to be a lot easier for us to spend eternity together. Because neither of us will be sinning. Our shared future is to be united to Jesus and to one another. It doesn't matter what we are like, who we are like, as long as we believe in Jesus. What ultimately separates us from the world are not these external markers of the world. What separates us from the world is that we have been given by the Father to Jesus for Him to save us and unite us as His people. And so may the Holy Spirit, who indwells all believers, that same one Spirit, convict us of the ways that we knowingly or unknowingly tear down the unity of the church of Christ worldwide. And may we hold fast to the truth of the Gospel because that is what unites us as believers, holding most tightly to that and other things can be held more loosely. May we love our fellow believers, no matter how different they are, so that the world can see that love and hear our witness about the one true God who so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to save his one people through that one death and resurrection. He is our one Lord and Savior. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank You that You remind us of this unity. We pray, oh Lord, that even as we worship in different congregations, even as we affiliate with different denominations, even as the church is scattered across many nations, speaking many languages in so many different situations, we pray that You would give us a vision for the one church. The one people of God. And while there are many good things that make us distinct from other believers, may we, in a hostile world, focus on what unites us. May we share that good news. May we rejoice when other churches are growing and seeing people come to salvation in Jesus Christ. May we pray for those churches that are struggling and suffering. And may we see one another as our friends, as our family, as those we get to spend forever with, together with Christ. 
In his, whose name we pray. Amen.